Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 235, brought to you by Hook'em.com and our good friends at Bud Light. Cedric Golden here with the Duck Kirk Bowles. And Duck, the Texas Longhorns recovered from the Fayetteville disaster. The blowout rise, but they're taking a step up in competition. They get Texas Tech on Saturday. And we're joined by our esteemed colleague, Carlos Silva of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Carlos, what's going on, brother? Nothing much, man. Just got the nice little cool win now. It's the first day of fall is in, so I think uh, football has officially started for me. <laughs> man, you, you've already got fall in Lubbock? It's, it's, what is it here, 95, Sid? It is a cool 68 degrees in Lubbock right now. We hate you so much wow. right Beautiful. now, Carlos. We Beautiful. hate you. Beautiful. Well, hey, man. We need to move the game. Yeah, I know. Let's move it. Let's move it to the South Plains. I'm good with that, man. It's always nice out there this time of year. Uh, well, technically, Texas Tech would like to play in Austin because they've won the last two times that they've played there. So, uh-huh. they're on a hot. They're on a roll. They're on a streak. That they are. Well, I, let me start off, Carlos. Texas Tech three and zero, averaging mm-hmm. forty points a game. Matt Wells eleven and fourteen, kind of started on the hot seat. So. I ask you, is Texas Tech for real? Are they just a little better or a whole lot better? I think it's uh, to be determined, and I think this game against Texas is certainly going to be the perfect litmus test for them. I know they had a pretty good game against Houston, but certainly you kind of have to look at that game and wonder, well, what would have happened if uh, maybe things kind of bounced a different way? But I think the one thing that I can take away from this Texas Tech football team is they are winning games that are close. And that first year that Matt Wells was here in Lubbock, his team's in – uh, I believe one-score games were 0-4 his first year, and this year I believe they're 2-0. and So hmm. it's kind of interesting to kind of see that change of perspective or just change of uh, mentality. I know he's been talking about changing the culture. I know this is kind of an excuse. He'll never use excuses, but certainly that last year of COVID, it's kind of an interesting way to kind of just say, like, well, do you kind of look at that as a regular season? But, I mean, obviously it wasn't regular for anyone. So in theory, this is technically his second year in my mind to where he's kind of building mm-hmm. things. Certainly he's built it the last three years, but I think the the thing you guys will notice is this run defense is certainly for real, and I think that's something that's going to be interesting against uh, Bajon Robinson as they play on Saturday. I'm so glad you asked about that. Uh, what kind of inroads is Keith Patterson making with that defense? I, I know the, the big bugaboo with Texas Tech is never about offense, and uh, the Red Raiders put up 54 last week against Florida International. <laughs> But it's about can they get stops? So how's that run defense looking, and and uh, how happy is Coach Patterson with it? 
Well, I think there are a lot of dogs, uh, just to kind of play off what's going on right now on the old recording. I mean, they they, they are barking, they are they, they are tough, and they are and, and they are just real good players right now. And you look at the linebackers with Colin Schooler, Rico Jeffers, Jacob Morgenstern. I mean, the, the the names can go on and on, and I think that's the one thing that Texas Tech has had that they maybe haven't had over the last couple of years, and it's been mentioned by a couple of players that Don and I have spoken to, and the, the term is competitive depth. It's a sense of if I don't play well, I have someone that can replace me now to where maybe a couple of years ago that wasn't the case, and maybe that you know provided a little bit of uh, – I guess some relaxation for some players, but now it's like everyone plays to their potential. And if they do get tired, they can get out and know that there is someone that is playing as well, or at least up to their potential. So I think that's something that the Texas tech defensive line, the linebackers secondary to a point right now, I don't think they've been tested yet. I think they might be with this uh, new Sark offense. If they're able to throw the ball down the field, I think that's going to be an interesting test to kind of watch. But I, I really am going to be watching how the defensive line goes up against that Texas Tech offensive line. Well, as you mentioned, the run defense. I mean, I mean, said Tech's ranked ninth in the nation in run defense, uh, and and I know it's early. It's you know, mm-hmm. but they've only allowed 163 yards on the ground in three games, 57 yards per game, and. Those are damn good numbers. I don't care who you're playing against. Uh, who would you say, Carlos, is the most responsible for, for plugging up this run? I know it's a team effort and collectively, but are there one or two that are really standing out and you know stopping the run, Carlos? I mean, we, we asked Coach Patterson about that and some players, and a lot of them just go to, to the fact that they have linebackers. But I think just overall, if you look at the defensive line, if they're plugging up the, the gaps and they're forcing you know running backs into a certain – to a certain gap or something like right. that, then you have the linebackers that are actually making tackles, and that's something that we asked Coach Matt Wells if he's noticed that they've kind of made tackles, and I think that was something that he was very proud to mention that they've been working on that since they first got here, and I think if you kind of watch tape on Texas Tech, not only do the linebackers make tackles, the defensive linemen make tackles, and even the secondary kind of gets in on it. Adrian Fry made a huge tackle last week uh, on a screenplay, and I think that's something that is indicative to what Keith Patterson has been talking about it in that that they want to get rid of the yak, and by that it's the yards after catch for those that uh, aren't aware of that acronym, and that's something that they've been able to take away, and that's something that Keith Patterson has said was plaguing Texas Tech is those yak yards are usually because you either miss a tackle or you miss Mm -hmm. an assignment, and and of course, uh, as you guys have kind of seen maybe in some of the previous games with Texas Tech, some of those big plays have happened because of a miscommunication in the secondary or a missed tackle, and uh, they've been able to plug that up, and you've seen at least the results of it against an FIU squad, which, again, as you guys kind of mentioned, uh, they are ranked ninth in the country, but you still have to kind of take that into account. But I think the one thing that can at least be seen from Texas Tech is they are finally putting away teams as they should have done in previous contests, where I know that was really the big story against Stephen F. Austin, where they survived it essentially, kind of like they survived uh, last year against Houston Baptist, the Mm two-point contest at home as well. Right. You know what? I, I'm so glad you asked. Um, I mean, you mentioned that because I asked Steve Sarkeesian on uh, Monday about the last season. No, he wasn't here, but they, there was a 63-56 thriller. And uh, Tech, Tech was up double digits with three minutes to go. And uh, he basically said it's not going to be that kind of game. Two different teams. And he's basically saying that uh, maybe it's not, it's not going to be that big, that kind of shootout. 
Do you think that the days of those slobber knocker track meets between Texas and Texas Tech are in the rear view with the improvement of these defenses? Do you think we're looking at a, you know, perish the thought, a 24 to 20 type game? Push I mean, your mouth. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's possible, but I mean, you guys know this. It, it goes in ups and downs with some of these defensive coordinators. They kind of know what they're doing, and and they're eventually going to figure out how to slow down these offenses and kind of all that stuff. But I think when when you kind of look at what uh, Texas Tech has been able to do on defense, I think it's very interesting to kind of see that. But I think that the one thing that again, kind of goes back to what I was mentioning. They missed tackles, and they weren't able to, you know, kind of communicate in the back end of the defense, and that's a credit to Texas. And uh, not only that, but then just the athletes that they recruit and they have at that quarterback and the receiver position. And I think even if if you really kind of come down to it, I know this is something Matt Wells has mentioned and some other people have, but, I mean, it was a crazy bounce on that onside kick. If it bounces any other way, Texas Tech takes it. And they close it out, but I think that's the one thing that Eric Izakonma and Matt Wells had mentioned when we asked them about last year's game is their uh, mantra or their focus this year is to close because they weren't able to close out games like that because if they do that last year, that's a huge statement win for Texas, uh, Texas Tech, pardon me. Uh, when you go and you not only beat UT, but, I mean, it's just it's a rivalry game, kind of a, a state game, so to speak, and that's certainly something that you can kind of put a feather in your cap for Matt Wells, but I think uh, to answer your question, said I, I honestly think it can go either way because again, I, I really think it's it, it's kind of a toss up when you really think about it because you have a new offensive coordinator, you have a new special teams coordinator, you got a new defensive coordinator. So I think initially it's going to be a little slow because everyone's going to be feeling themselves out. Maybe Texas Tech will have a pretty good script to start off, and maybe they'll you know start strong. But I certainly think there's going to be a feeling out period between these two teams because as Sonny Cumbie said another new person to this uh, rivalry, if you will. That's another person that's going to have to kind of figure things out against a new defensive coordinator. And then, of course, your defensive coordinator, uh, the Texas defensive coordinator, part of me, is going to have to figure out Sonny Cumbie as well. But like you said, it, like, you know, Sarkeesian's new here. Matt Wells has only had three years on the ground. Well, two years, even if you count last year's. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing, like you said, they're finishing games that they hadn't before and, and, and said – I know you know this too. They've got two defensive touchdowns already, and pick sixes, and have five interceptions on the year. So they're they're making plays. They're they're making things happen. And one of the things that struck me is that you know just how old they've gotten. And you look in the notes, and Tech got twenty two transfers uh, and twelve super seniors. So you know that represents a lot of experience, a lot of ball games, and. Can you just speak to the age factor, Carlos, and how big advantage that is for them trying to change that culture and to get that breakthrough season? Well, I think, if anything, it just goes to show that they've got a lot of business-like attitude because when you really think about it, if you have these quote-unquote super seniors or, as I call them, redshirt seniors, because I think super is more of an adjective for someone, but <laughs> right. when, you think of, when you think of the fact that they were able to get these guys to come back, that shows some sort of buy-in. Mm-hmm. Matt Wells obviously was – was truthful to us and kind of brought it up. I mean, there has to be, you know, a need both ways. They need to come back, maybe bring up their stock, and certainly there needs to be a need here at Texas Tech to where they need them. And it worked out with Colin Schooler and some of these other uh, redshirt seniors, uh, as you were mentioning. But I think the thing that really has helped Texas Tech in the transfer portal is the fact that they've been able to shore up 
some of those competitive death holes. You look at a Rayshad Williams at defensive back. You look at a Reggie Pearson in the secondary as well. Those are two guys that are starting right now, kind of like last year where you get a Tyree Wilson. I'm sure you guys remember him about three days before he shows up to Texas Tech, and then I believe uh, his first game was against uh, Texas last year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it, it's kind of a little fuzzy the last couple of years, but, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just goes to show the type of weird kind of season that happened last year, but then just the amount of players that Texas Tech has been able to kind of bring in. Now, again, this could hurt them in the long run if things don't work out, but so far, and I'm sure Matt Wells is knocking on wood, so far these transfers have worked out and they've hit on all these transfers and I think that's really the biggest thing and then of course the number one transfer that you guys will probably see is Tyler Shuck the quarterback from Oregon that had a spectacular game against the FIU last week Tyler Shuck 399 yards passing four touchdowns uh getting it done with Xavier White and Taj Brooks and uh the name Taj Brooks has come off of many a longhorn lip in uh this week uh they have huge respect for him What's that tandem looking like, and uh, how do you think they match up with that Texas secondary? I think it's going to be interesting, but when you look at Todd Brooks and Xavier White, uh, the two running backs that at least have taken a majority of the carries while Sir Roger Thompson has been kind of getting his feet back under him, getting back into game shape. He got a couple, I believe it was four runs against FIU last weekend, his first one being a touchdown run. I think uh, Todd Brooks is a up-and-down north-south runner. He can break away a little bit, but he doesn't have breakaway speed like a Xavier White, where if he finds a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Sonny Cumbie called him a one-cut guy, so if he makes a cut, he's gone. If he's mm-hmm. seen I like one cut or, or something in the gap, and Sir Roger Thompson is more of an all-around back, I guess is the best way to say it. He does have speed. He can go in between the tackles if need be, but then he can also kind of catch it out of the backfield, and I think that's one thing that Sonny Cumbie's talked about, is they've got guys in that backfield that can really play to all their strengths, whether that's a Sir Roger Thompson who kind of does it all, or if you need a guy that could get one or two yards, which is something Todd uh, Brooks has been doing as well, or if you need maybe that quick uh, change-up guy like a Xavier White to maybe kind of infuse some, uh, you know, a spark into the offense as he's done the last couple of weeks with some of his runs. I think that's something that has been missing from Texas Tech, quite frankly. I know the, the biggest uh, gripe last year before David Yost was let go was the fact that they've been missing these big explosives. That's kind of the new word in the NFL and colleges, but essentially they're big chunk plays. You know, mm-hmm. if you got 30 right. plus yards or something, that's something that Texas Tech has been missing, and they've been able to get a couple. If I'm not mistaken, they're in the top 10. I can't remember which stat it was, but of uh, getting, you know, those big chunk plays, whether that's a 50 yard run by Todd Brooks or a, you know, a 30 plus yard run by Xavier White or even Tyler Shook connecting with an Eric Azucama for 60 plus yards or something like that. It's just those type of plays that I think this weekend are going to be the difference between winning and losing for Texas and Texas Tech. If, as uh, said, kind of mentioned, maybe it's not a shootout, you need a big play somewhere. Well, and like you said, they got a lot of weapons. I mean, Brooks and White and Thompson. White used to be a former receiver, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. So, so he, he's got hands. They're going to use him. And then, I mean, 11 different receivers Tyler Shuck used uh, last week against FIU. And, and three touchdowns to tight ends, I believe. So the tight ends, you know, people look at tight ends at Texas Tech and they go, wait, wait a minute, come on, they don't use tight ends. But but they do, and and how important is that a part of their offense, Carlos? Well, it was supposed to be important to their offense last year, and Travis Coons <laughs> didn't really 
kind of get going. And I think that was the thing that made Matt Wells really fired up after that FIU game was the fact that they did utilize the tight end because that's been something that people have been wondering. Well, you recruited all these tight ends. Why haven't you thrown the ball to them? And all of a sudden, Travis Coons gets two touchdowns in, in uh, a game, and that's more than he had last year, which was one. So, I mean, oh, I think wow. we just kind of want to see the, the, the type of – uh, effect that they've had or just Sonny Cumbie being able to, as I kind of asked him, he felt like he got into a rhythm play calling because not sure if many are aware, but I believe through the first two games, Texas Tech ran about 100 plays or something like that, close to 100 plays. So if you look at it, 50 plays per game, that's not a lot compared to what you normally no, see in a Big 12 game. It's about, you know, 60 to 80. I would say right. it's probably a good median between it. So that, that that was the thing that Matt Wells had talked about. I, I think the biggest things that fans were talking about was, oh, they're focusing on Eric Isikonoma too much, which I, I don't know why you would not want to focus on a guy that could be an all-Big 12 receiver. But, again, fans are fans. Uh, the fact that they weren't use, utilizing their tight ends, Matt Wells had mentioned, well, if we get more plays, we're going to find them. Same thing Sonny Cumbie said. All of a sudden you get more plays last, year, last week and 11 different receivers, and you got – touchdowns to uh, not only a freshman in Mason Tharp, but then, of course, Travis Coons, a junior college transfer that I know everyone's going to be looking at the touchdowns, but their biggest asset is the fact that they can run block, and that's something that Sonny mm-hmm. Cumbie's been using, as you guys kind of have seen with this TCU offense. Well, Kirk and I have been talking about the Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma and Iowa State were the two teams favored to meet in the uh, conference title game, and they haven't impressed uh, in non-conference, uh, single-digit single-digit wins by OU over over Tulane and Nebraska, Iowa State barely beating Northern Iowa, losing to their in-state rival Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, is there a sense in Lubbock, like there is in Austin, that the Big Twelve is kind of up for grabs, even though we all still agree that OU is the best team in the conference? I think in terms of maybe three through five, it's up for grabs, said. Uh, I honestly do agree with you. I think at some point things are going to figure themselves out. I think early on teams are still trying to figure out their identity. The same thing can happen for Texas. The same thing happened to Texas Tech. People, I think if maybe some big wins happen later down the later down the line for Texas Tech, people are going to forget that they struggled against Stephen F. Austin. But I, I think that's something that people forget is that Oklahoma struggled early on and then all of a sudden – as long as you win those games, you don't have to worry about it down the line. And I think that's the important thing for Texas Tech is, yes, they did struggle against Houston. They got down 14-7, in, or uh, I believe it was 21-7, pardon me, at halftime against Houston. Turn it around, score, I want to say, 31 straight points or something like that to win that game. Able to get a fourth down stop against SFA, yes, you can look at it however you want, but the fact is they got the stop and they got the win, and then all of a sudden FIU – get a big take six from Marquise Waters and all of a sudden you get the route. I think if anything, if you kind of look at it that way and the fact that they've got confidence because they've been able to win in those different ways, I think that's the biggest thing to to look at for Texas Tech. And not only that, but just kind of looking at the conference overall. If you're able to get hot or if you're able to just play solid defense or you're able to just play mistake-free on offense, I think that's going to again, make it kind of wide open for any team. But I, I do believe that Oklahoma is the most talented team. Iowa State's going to probably be in the running. But after that, I think that's the toss-up is can some of those teams get a big win over Oklahoma or can a team get a win over Iowa State? And I think that's going to be the, the fun part is to see then people are going to start talking about, well, maybe there is a little bit of parity in the Big 12 going into going into the fall and maybe the next couple of years. You know, if anything, these been, teams have hope. It, it, these teams have hope. Because those teams haven't been world beaters this year, so the uh, the guys that haven't 
haven't uh, been in that Big 12 title game, they feel like they, they got a puncher's chance, and that's kind of that's kind of exciting with the conference starting. Yeah, I think well, absolutely, and, and 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 frankly, and I'm sure you guys kind of hear this too. I think there's a, I think there's a little bit of pride for some of these. Uh, I don't know how you all kind of put them, but maybe the 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 lasting eight, if you will, that are kind of seeing how they kind of play the last two or however many years that Oklahoma and Texas are going to be here. I think they, there's a little bit of pride there, and they want to show that they they are a part of this. And I think there's something to that, and I think that also kind of adds to that intrigue as well to what you're talking about with parity. That's one thing, Carlos, we were talking about this week is that, you know, this is, you know, Texas and Oklahoma are lame ducks in the Big 12. We don't know. I don't think it'll happen next year, but probably two years maybe left in the league for them. And and I always wonder how that plays out on the field when, you know, you've got eight other teams, you know, in in the league that just are kind of salivating to knock you off and, and uh, get some revenge because, you know, this is about survival. And, and these other Big 12 teams were, you know, I don't know if they were just on their, on their last bit of oxygen, but uh, it was very scary. And do you, do you think that plays a role when Texas Tech and others play Texas, or is there's just too much going to be made of that, Carlos? I honestly think there's too much to be made about it in the media. Mm-hmm. I think overall, before this all happened, yeah, it's a little extra of a – chapter an extra layer to the to the rivalry but i think overall just everyone just wanted to be texas and oklahoma because i mean right yeah yeah because i mean as much as people don't want to admit it those are the two teams that you want to be when you're in the big 12 you know you always mm-hmm. have those teams you always have the yankees you always have the red sox you, you have your teams that you want to beat every year texas tech it's texas obviously for the in-state rivalry and then you've got other ones like iowa state that have kind of gone up in status because they've beaten Oklahoma or they've beaten the Texas and that's how you raise your kind of raise your profile you beat the, the yeah. high profile teams and I think that's kind of going to be the the objective for some of these final eight or the ones that are staying eight if you will right right and then then you got the old Chris Beard factor in there so many Red Raider fans uh, still upset over you know stealing the basketball coach so uh, yeah I would say Texas Tech wants this they're not lacking motivation, you know. <laughs> I'll put I'll put it to that. And, and the other thing too is that yet in there, Matt Wells is still looking for that signature win, isn't he? That that breakout win that people around the country go, wow, look at Tech, you know. And I think they're the most improved team in the league, uh, especially on defense, like you've been chronicling. But he still needs that signature win, does he not, to really get this thing jump started? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you consider the fact that he has lost to Kansas, they struggled last year against Kansas. And not only that, but I mean, I I don't want to beleaguer the point, but I mean, it was brought up when we asked them about it. They were right. three minutes away from beating Texas last year. I mean, right. it, 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 it's the biggest loss that uh, Texas Tech had last season, according to Eric Ezekonma and Coach Wells reminded them to feel the way that they felt after that so that they don't mm-hmm. feel it this year again. And, again, that just goes back to them wanting to close out games. And I think if they're wanting to get to the objectives that they want, whether that's winning a Big 12 title or obviously getting to a postseason or getting to a bowl, I think you certainly have to beat these top-tier teams because when you do get against the Kansas and you are able to get them or get a victory over them, you have to beat one of these other teams either on the road or you got to get a, you know, a, a steal game, so to speak, at home. And I think 
starting mm-hmm. at Texas, a, a place where you have won the last two times that you've been on the road, which there are a couple of players on this team that have been uh, on that field when that did happen. I think that's something that a lot of them have some uh, motivation to kind of close out their college career, knowing that they beat Texas twice. That's something to be said. Well, that's going to be a great game. Uh, Carlos Silva does it all for the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. He will be in the mix when the Red Raiders come a-calling to DKR 11 a.m. Saturday. And if you're watching from home, it's going to be on ABC. Carlos, man, it's always a pleasure. And uh, you have a podcast as well. And I know Kirk Bowles is going to be on it. What What's it called and when does it drop? Because I want to listen. Absolutely. It's called the Red Raider Podcast, and it typically drops on Thursday. So Don and I usually jump on the old radio or what, what as he likes to call it, the radio. But obviously <laughs> it's what we're doing right now. We talk a little bit about the game from last week. Uh, we preview this week. And then, of course, I'm going to talk to Kirk because we try to talk to the opposing team's beat writer to kind of get the lowdown on them. But, yeah, you guys will be talking to Don on Friday or uh, Saturday. I'm not making the trip down Austin, unfortunately. So you all enjoy. I get to watch some high school football on Friday night. Very nice. Well, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Thank you, Carlos, so much, and uh, we'll be talking to you very soon. Anytime. Appreciate y'all. Thanks, brother. Duck, always a pleasure to catch up with our Gannett brethren, Carlos Silva, bringing us the knowledge. Uh, the Texas Longhorns need this one. Uh, they they can't they can't give away games. Uh, they got TCU coming up after that, and OU both in the Metroplex. So, really, don't need the Red Raiders to come in here and mess up their mix. This is a must have. No, you're exactly right. This is a little bit of a gauntlet here, and uh, nobody outside the state of Texas, and maybe a lot of people inside the state of Texas think Texas Tech's that good. But you know, I've been kind of trumpeting them since August. It's, the most improved team in the league. They finally got a defense. Now, I don't know if they're for real. You know, when you beat Houston, SFA, and Ford International, nobody's eyebrows are going to go up. You're going to go. Some people are going to yawn. And but they are. They're older team. As Carlos told us, they're finishing better. They're making tackles. And probably the best thing for them, they're coming in with some confidence. So which uh, Texas can't afford to relax and slip up in this one. Not if they want to make it to the Big 12 championship game. And I, I know from experience, if you don't win the Big 12, Doug, you don't make it. You have no chance of making it to the CFP. No, and to no that end, no the, you got to be a four, you got to be an Alabama or Georgia. You got to be a one loss SEC like team or, right. or, or an Ohio State. Yeah. Is this, let me ask you, does this game scare you at all, Sam? No, it doesn't. Not at all. No, it does not. Tell me why. You just don't respect Shock or their defense or what? Uh, man, it's not about respect. I just think Texas is at home and they have they have the, a, a really good running back and uh, their defense is decent. And Texas Tech hasn't played anybody yet, so I, I think this is going to be a tough tough matchup for Tech. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if Tech got ahead of them, but I think by the end, I think the best team usually wins. Tech, I think Bijan Robinson's getting ready to go off, and I think this is the time that he'll go off. Well, he has gone off, and so is Keyline Robinson. And oh, I'm talking about against, I'm talking about against a good team. I'm not talking about Rice and I'm um, Tyler Shuck. Do you think they're a good team? You think Tech's a good team? I think they're okay. I don't think they're. Yeah. I don't think they're great. I think I think they have a chance to play in a bowl game this year. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I think they'll definitely. I mean, they're already halfway there. You know, Still got to win three. Auto- well, you got Kansas. That's four. Uh, yeah. and, a- and after that, you don't know. Everybody else is pretty decent, Duck. I don't know how good Bader is yet. Haven't seen you know. them. Haven't seen them. Got Haven't some seen. questions about them, but uh, but I mean, this is this is a good little challenge for Texas. Is that you know you haven't proven anything. You beat Louisiana, you know, a group of five, and you beat uh, a very overmatched, overwhelmed Rice team, and you stunk it up against Arkansas. Yeah, so exactly. You know, and I know Stark and his staff are going to say we haven't done a damn thing. We haven't. We're not ranked. You know, nobody's respecting you after seeing you on national TV against Arkansas. That was just a horrible performance, and that's going to stick with them until they beat somebody good, like in Oklahoma. So, yeah, they they, they just got to be keep building and getting better. And you know, Casey Thompson, this will be his second start. So, he got a lot of confidence, and that that, that Rice game was important for him. Don't you think? Yeah, it was, and it was it was he he admitted to being nervous and. He didn't right. show any during the game. He's a cool customer, Duck, and he's one of those yeah, guys who, very cool. who doesn't rattle Absolutely. very easily. I, um, I'll be interested to see if they get after him because uh, no one's really gotten after him yet. He got hit on that one play where he threw a pick, but uh, to see if, yeah. if if Tech is able to get consistent pressure on him, um, then 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 we'll see uh, what what he's bringing to the table. But you know what, uh, this. Yeah. Every, all these teams are, are looking to one goal, and that's to get to that that CFP. And um, the FBS commissioners are meeting today in Dallas to to possibly recommend expanding the CFP from four teams to twelve. Uh, what do you think about that? I wrote about it in today's paper that I know you haven't read yet. Well, the thing is, tell me if you agree. First of all, I think twelve. A lot and maybe too many, because you know we Take always over know how you get you get that money creep. It's like, well, no, we've had twelve now for six years. So what if we go to sixteen or maybe eighteen? And then it it starts. You do not want to diminish or erode the importance of the regular season, because you know it's been long been my contention. It's the only. And I mean only regular season in sports. Probably all the sports where the regular season matters uh, significantly. And you could argue NFL it does too, but you've got 500 teams making the playoffs. So you drop a game or two or three or four, you're still going to be a really good team in the NFL. Whereas right now in college football, you drop one like Texas has, and you're thinking, well, our CFP is probably out the window unless you're in Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State. Unless you, or unless they win the yeah, yeah. I don't but think I, a one I loss. I don't. Twelve too many. I don't think a one loss Big Twelve team is going to make the CFP. They win the but championship. But do you think twelve too many, Sid? I not really. Um, I think I think eight was more, was more my preference. I think I'll take twelve over four all day long. Uh, but uh, I understand the need to get more teams involved. I think I, I did in my column today, I, I, I took a look at that five through 12, how that would match up with the rankings as they are currently. Yeah. And tell me what you think about right. these games. Okay. Uh, Notre Dame at Iowa. That's sexy. The, Florida at Penn state. Sexy. Ohio state at Texas A&M. I like it. Clemson at Cincinnati. 
Those are all good games. But let me ask you, first four, we get a bye. Yeah. So how is 12 versus 5 and 11 versus 6? Are those still compelling games? Who, who's 12, 11 in the rank? I know that. Well, I just told you. I did them in order. I did them in order. So who's 12? 12 is, hold on, Notre Notre Dame at Iowa, 12 at 5. Okay. Number 11, Florida at number 6, Penn State. Number 10, Ohio. you know what? Number 10, Ohio State. Let me finish. Number 10, Ohio State at number 7, A&M. Number 9, Clemson at number 8, Cincinnati. Those are all good games, Doug. But you know what? They're good, but it's also three weeks into September. You know, uh, in a month, they may not be as sexy. So uh, what I'm asking is in December, will number 12, number 11, will those still be sexy teams that, that the, the entire nation will go, yeah, those are, those are national championship contenders. They're legitimately really great teams. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, and the, and the one thing is you also have to look at is the human factor, Doug. Who maybe a team gets hot and makes a run and 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 wins its car and gets gets inside that top twelve and they're the hottest team in the country and they're every bit as good as that number five team and and they're ready to go. So those are the kind of storylines I'm looking forward to following. Uh, you know, because teams do get hot in December and teams cool off. I think I think uh, those are all basically FBS teams. I think a a uh, group of five teams going to sneak in there. Someone like a Coastal Carolina, or you know, someone like that will sneak in there. A BYU, an Independent, will sneak in there and 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 maybe try to mess up the mix. Uh, I I think eight would have been preferable, but I don't mind twelve. And I, and I'm telling you, I I like twelve a whole lot more, Duck. Then I like four. Well, when you talk about 12, a group of five team isn't sneaking in. They're guaranteed a spot, I think, and, and, and maybe have two of those such teams. So you can't go with 12 teams without opening up the field to all 130 teams. Because right now, a group of five team cannot make it. Because you look at Boise State, or you look at UCF, which has gone undefeated twice, and not sniffed the top four. So it is not open for business for all 132, 130 teams. Uh, they're open to get into a New Year's Six, but not in the playoffs. So 12 teams would do that, and I endorse that, is that the group of five legitimately have uh, a hope to get in, and they don't now. There, there's no way they can get in because – even if they knock off somebody big, if, if they knocked off an SEC team or a Big Ten team, it's like, yeah, but look at the rest of their schedule. Well, they've got no control over that. They're a group of five. So I think that would be good for uh, going to 12 teams. But uh, like right now, four is just not tenable. And I agree with you. I think eight would definitely be better. But doesn't, doesn't it look like it looked like a slam dunk in May? But now – it's so much more tentative because people are ticked off at the SEC for inviting Texas and Oklahoma. So they're going to slow down. But you know who needs it more than anybody? A conference like uh, the Pac-12, which is barely sniffed the CFP, you know. And so they really need an expanded field. 
Well, my Oregon Ducks gone. My Oregon Ducks are looking good to win the Pac-12 early on. That's my, that was they my do. pick. I think yeah, and they've already gone in with a quality win in Columbus to beat Ohio State. Yeah. So I think I think they're off and running, and uh, they're they're going to be definitely in that mix. But you know what? The what hurts them now is that the league looks so bad. You know, USC had the bad loss. Uh, UCLA. Uh, lost to a really good Fresno State team, but they still lost to it. Utah uh, stumbled against BYU. Charlie uh, Brewer quit the team already. Did you hear about Montana. that? Charlie Brewer uh, already quit Utah. Yeah, it's crazy. So it doesn't help Oregon that the conference looks pretty bad. That they may be the only really great team in that league, and and that's going to hurt them if it comes down to, you know, say in Alabama and a Georgia and an Ohio State, and then maybe you're looking at an undefeated Oklahoma, and then Oregon gets squeezed out. So expansion would definitely help the CFP uh, for uh, the Pac-12. Well, real quick, Doug, before we get out of here, uh, I'm, I'm going to be covering the Cowboys on Monday night. Uh, they're hosting the Philadelphia Eagles, and it's their, their home opener. And is Mike McCarthy insane? Because the case can be made, Duck, that they could be 0-2 because he didn't know how to manage a clock. He is not coaching like a guy that won a Super Bowl. And I well, I, I, I don't like where they're the going. What'd you didn't say? Didn't he say he couldn't find the clock? Who's, whose problem is that? Well, exactly. That's something you got to decide a long time ahead of the closing minute of the game. So, And somebody's got to be in his headset. Mike, Mike, Mike. You know, that clock, we're losing time here, and we got a long field goal. But that was not his shining moment. And Sherline me, missed three field goals last week, Duck. Exactly. Well, the longer the longer I watch McCarthy and Dallas, the more I think that was all Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And uh, I, I've been disappointed. I, I never really thought, you know, he's going to be Bill Parcells or Jimmy Johnson in Dallas, but I thought that was an upgrade over Jason Garrett and was going to be uh, a whole lot better than he has been. So I do have concerns, but he's being bailed out by a pretty good team and, you know, a defensive team that, what do they have? They're plus four in turnover margin and have six takeaways. They're getting it done. They're giving up yards, but they're making big plays and they're versatile like Micah Parsons, who plays defensive end for the first time since high school he against great. the Chargers and looked awesome. So he could be rookie of the year the way he's playing. Yeah, so athleticism. Yeah. really upgraded. Dak looks just picked up right where he left off before that ankle surgery. And Tony Pollard, oh, my God. Is he the best number two back uh, over like uh, Kareem Hunt or – Anybody else in in the league? Would you say, Sid? I would put it Kareem Hunt second, but Tony Pollard. <clears throat> excuse me, Tony Pollard is right there, Doug. More burst than Zeke, uh, a very yes. versatile receiver and a playmaker. And man, I'm, you know, I'm not ready to put Zeke on the shelf because you need that physical presence between the tackles. But he does bring yeah. a different dimension, and you could just see the defense going. Oh, we gotta, we got, we gotta really get ready for this guy because we don't want him to get get past us we're not going to be able to catch up to him uh i don't i don't see zeke being that breakaway guy anymore he doesn't look like it and the eagles will be interesting you know i mean i'm not completely sold on Jalen hurts yet as an nfl starting quarterback who's you know at upper tier 
but he's played pretty well. And even though they lost to the 49ers last week, uh, they've been kind of a surprisingly good and uh, been a little better than people think. So do you think uh, Philadelphia could give uh, give Dallas a tough game on Monday? Everybody's going to give Dallas a tough game, Doug. Dallas is not great. <laughs> they just aren't great. And uh, they have some weaponry on they have some weaponry on offense, but they're they're not the type of team that's going to run away and hide. I was really impressed with how they went in uh, to to L.A. and took out the Chargers, who are a good, talented young team with a with really, with a, with a really. future star in this league playing quarterback. So uh, very impressed with that. But they they're not very good with uh, um, success. The Cowboys are not very good with success and. Uh, I think they'll be fired up for this game. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they're probably going to come out on top, but but like it's been for the last 25 years, Duck, nothing's easier for nothing's easy for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, they'll be fired up for the home opener, and you know, just just surviving these two road games against the Chargers and Bucks, and going one and one with a lot of people thinking they could have easily been two and zero. Oh, you know, if a pass interference gets called or. Uh, they take advantage of uh, opportunities or just kick a couple extra field goals or extra point even. You know, that game was there for the winning. So uh, I kind of like what I'm seeing from Dallas. I, I'll be honest, I'm, I've been a little surprised. But the offensive line, Connor Williams is playing well. Uh, they need to get those DNs back on the field. That, I think losing Gregory and Lawrence. Uh, that's tough, like they man. Have, that, that's, that's not good long term, but uh, – but you got to like the aggressiveness that you know Dan Quinn's defense is kind of uh, taking on this these first two weeks. And really, really uh, looking forward to seeing how they fare against a, a running quarterback. Jalen Hurts has some jets; he can move, and uh, he's shown a, an ability to throw the deep ball. So they 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 got that Quez Watkins, I think's his name. That that kid got deep, and uh, they they have some weapons. Miles Sanders is an okay running back; he's not going to scare anybody. But I'm going to mm-hmm. be interested to see how they uh, – I'm thinking they're trying to keep Jalen Hurts inside the pocket. But with those pass rushers out, we'll see if they'll be able to put some heat on him. And that's why you move Michael Parsons to the edge because he's an athlete and maybe maybe he can beat beat that left tackle and, and get a sack or two and speed up that imaginary clock in uh, Jalen Hurts' head. Well, it's going to be interesting, and uh, it's so funny over the overreaction. And Aaron Rodgers is dead after Week One and throws four touchdowns, three of them Aaron Jones in Week Two. So, you know, and you got to let things settle out. Derek Carr is probably not as good as he's looked the first two uh, weeks, and uh, I'm hoping Ben, Big Ben, as my backup quarterback in fantasy league, isn't as bad as he's looked too. So, uh, uh, even even the Houston Texans have a win. So. Of course, now with uh, Tyrod Taylor out and, and uh, Davis Mills from uh, rookie from Stanford, and th- they're going to still have a long season in Houston. I don't think there's any question about that. Well, Doug, let's 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 put an end to it there because we could talk all day, but we got work to do. That will yes, do, do it for episode two thirty-five of On Second Thought. Uh, big thanks to Carl Silva of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal for joining us. For the Duck Kirk Bowles, I'm Cedric Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Ced and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.